Let's get right into our word this morning. We continue on with our series, Hot Topics for Hot Times, and uh, boy, hadn't they been some hot button issues. Man, we, we've been talking about a lot of very relevant uh, and culturally significant events that are happening right now in our society. Today, we're going to be talking about racism. Racism, that is a very, that's another hot button issue that, uh, we are ta- that we're seeing right now in our culture. So what, is, what does the Bible say about it? So let's, uh, Revelation chapter uh, 7, we'll read two verses of Scripture. And I know it's a little bit, maybe a little bit odd to use this uh, verse, but uh, I think you get a point, a picture here uh, of where I'm going. John the Revelator, who is, who is uh, uh, on the Isle of, of Patmos, he's there uh, being exiled, and he writes... After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, and notice how he describes what he saw, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Read that again. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. May the Lord add His blessing to His Word this morning. Now, I've said this for the last three weeks. Every service, I've always given a disclaimer, and I'll do that again this morning. And, and that disclaimer is this, these messages are not born out of hate and anger. Uh, it would be very easy for people today to, and in fact, today, people don't need a reason to misconstrue anything, right? Um, that's just kind of where we are in our culture. But, uh, but there, there's no animus behind these messages. In fact, these messages are rooted in God's Word and are to help us navigate these complex days that we live in. How many know we live in some very complex times? There are things that the church is facing today that, you know, years ago, I don't know how they're doing it now, but years ago in, in, in Bible school, they didn't deal with because they weren't relevant issues. You didn't talk about them. You didn't, you, you didn't know much about them. These things are pressing on where we are today. So again, these, these messages have not been rooted uh, in any type of animus whatsoever. They, again, have been root, simply to help us educate ourselves, number one, on what God says. Number two, help us to be able to, to, to share with our children as we disciple them on how we should live in these changing times. How many understand that right now, culture seems to be going wherever it wants to go? What's, what's happening today, what's cool today, won't be cool tomorrow. It's like people are sticking their finger in their mouth, holding it up to the wind, seeing which way it's blowing, and then they follow suit. That, that's a very random way of living. The Bible gives us a very concrete methodology and how we approach life. And so, uh, again, being a Christian, what does that mean? It means that you and I subscribe to a certain set of beliefs, and not only do we subscribe to these beliefs, but we yield ourselves to God's authority in our lives. That's important we understand that. That as a Christian, listen, as a Christian, he, we recognize that He is the Creator, right? right? He is the Creator, and as such, He has every right to set the terms and the expectations for how we live. Jeremiah 18 is a perfect example. Jeremiah 18, he goes down, Jeremiah goes to the potter's house. Remember, he goes down to the potter's house, he sees the potter, he sees the clay, he sees the wheel. It is the potter who scoops up the clay, it's the potter who sets it on the wheel, and it is the potter who begins to mold and fashion that according to whose design? His design, the potter's design. 
And even in Jeremiah 18, it says, the pot can't say, or the clay cannot say to the potter, why did you make me like this? That, again, is exerting God's right as creator to set the terms in how you and I live our lives. And if we're going to call ourselves a Christian, remember, I've said this, uh, I did the Creed series last year. If I'm going to call myself a believer, a Christian, a Christ follower, then that means I subscribe to Christian doctrine. Now, if I'm free not to, if I don't want to, then that's okay, but I can't call myself a Christian. Now, again, God has the the right to give us the expectations of how we live. Now, here's the thing. The free moral agency of humanity is I get to choose. I'm free not to believe that, right? I'm free not to believe that. I can believe it or not believe it. It's it's up on me. In fact, uh, Jesus died for all of mankind, and yet not all of mankind will be saved. Remember what Jesus said? He said, broad is the way that leads where? To destruction, and narrow is the way that leads to life. And then he adds this addendum, and few there be that find it. So, so again, Jesus died, and the call of the gospel is whosoever will, let him come. But not everybody will come. They will exercise their free moral agency, and they will choose not to believe. Well, that's on them. Okay, that's on them. We, we live with two choices, God rule or self-rule. That's it. You know, there's not multiple choice. You, get to, you decide either God's going to have the authority of my life or I'm going to, I'm going to call the shots and live according to my own, my own thoughts, whatever. These messages have been about tuning out the rhetoric and the noise of the world and trying to hone in on the voice of the Spirit through God's Word. That's really what it's about. So, so the first one we looked at, God's authority, uh, God's word is the ultimate authority in our, in our lives. And then we move from there to tackling the dilemma of abortion. Last week, we looked at transgenderism and gender confusion. Listen, God calls us to maleness and femaleness. So God's calling upon Mike Mizell is for me to be a man, to live as a man. Amen? That is a calling of God. He created in the beginning male and female, and, and, and it's, he's called us to do that. Listen, I, I, I'm, proud, I'm, a, I'm a man. I love being a man. I told the early service, I'm, I love being a man because I can, I can get off a phone conversation in 30 seconds flat. <laughs> I love being a man because I, if I see another man wearing the same outfit that I'm wearing, we might be lifelong friends. But it is, I'm living according to the calling of God upon my life. And as our ladies here, God's called you to be a female, a woman. It is, it is a divine calling to do that. And so, so again, we're, living, we're to live according to our biology, not social constructs and our feelings. That's where we are in our culture today. So this morning, we're going to tackle the sin of racism. Now, anyone who has studied history... Uh, has rec- you should recognize that racism has been a blight on humanity since the dawn of humanity. You know, this, this is not something that's new. That our, the world has been dealing with racism since the fall of man. That's just where we are. Racism, what is racism? It is treating someone in, as inferior because of their racial or ethnic group that they belong to. Not only that, it's also treating someone as inferior or less than human because of the color of their skin. Now, I said it last week, when God created the, the world, He made this place called the Garden of Eden. It was utopia. 
It was the place of paradise. And in that garden, he placed Adam and Eve. And one of the things that we talked about last week was when man, when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, he distorted God's creative order and brokenness became the rule of the day. So please understand that whenever you see man's inhumanity to man, that is a direct result of the fall. It is the brokenness of the world that we live in, the world that has been marred by sin, the world that is under the curse of sin, and the world that Paul wrote about in Romans that groans for redemption. Because of the fall, we see man's inhumanity to man. Since that time, there's always been one group uh, attempting to elevate itself above other groups. Always have been that. This has led to violence that has spanned all of human history. I read a, an article one time, it's been years ago, so I don't remember the exact quote of it, but it talked about in the history of humanity that the world has only been at peace in all the, the thousands of years of its existence. The world has only been at a time of peace, a, det a detente, for maybe 250 years of those, cumulative. That's insane. But it's the brokenness. It's the brokenness of our world. Listen, on every continent on earth, there has always been the struggle of racism, whether it's the discrimination against Jews, against Asians, against Mexicans, against Indians, Africans, Europeans. It's always been like that, where one group has tried to elevate itself above another group. This struggle has been real. And, and I want you to hear this. Some of the most heinous acts ever recorded in history have been done in the name of racism. Again, if you read history, human history, you understand some of the most heinous things done and the most evil and corrupt things that you can imagine have been done in the name of racism. I mean, you think about, I mean, we could talk about the slavery. Uh, we could talk about the, the concentration camp. We could, there's a lot of things we could talk about uh, as, as examples. The history, I mean, think about our own country. America, again, if you know anything about our, 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 our history, America has been littered with the sin and the blight of racism. And, and you're looking at a man that was born in the deep south. Everybody says, where are you from, pastor? I'm from L.A., lower Alabama. About low as you can get. I was born in, the, in that racist deep south. No, not all of it. I don't mean that. I, I'm just saying that I, I know I've seen, I've seen racism firsthand. And I, I'll be honest with you, I find it repulsive. I find it repulsive. I've always said that the desire of my heart is to look out here on a Sunday morning, any Sunday morning, and see a foreshadowing of heaven. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, when I was a kid, we used to sing this song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. I've always wanted to be able to look out and see heaven represented here on a Sunday morning. Just like John in, in our text this morning, he, he's there and he's got a glimpse of uh, in the future of, this, of this, uh, the tribulation saints that are there. And he said they were from every nation and every tribe and every language and people. They were there. Heaven is going to be a diverse place. Amen? Yeah. It's going to be a diverse place. Listen, in our text, John caught a glimpse of heaven and he said that there was this innumerable group of people People from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. John saw this sea of humanity in heaven. And notice what, it, they weren't just Caucasians and they weren't just blacks and they weren't just Asians and they weren't just Mexicans or Europeans. They, they, they were none of that. Indians or what? They, they were one group of people standing before the Lamb. 
These people are the ones who refuse to deny Christ during the tribulation, and John sees them present together in heaven before Jesus. Sin, I want you to think about this. Sin is the great separator. It's a great separator. When Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, remember prior to the fall, the Bible says that God would come down in the cool of the evening and he would come down and he would fellowship with man, his, his desires, communion with man. And, it, and, and again, he would come down in the cool of the evening, but remember what happened when, the, when, when man sinned and sin came into the picture. It severed that relationship. It severed it. It created a, a rift, if you will, a gulf between God and man. And that's why Jesus, that gulf was bridged with the cross, right? We've seen that illustration. When sin, when sin came around, it separated. I mean, think about what it does. It separates people from each other. Think about what sin does to husbands and wives who break up and, and, and friends and parents and child relationship and friendship. Sin, sin has this way of getting in and making everything ugly and separating people from one another. Sin separates people from each other and ultimately sin separates man eternally from the presence of God. When I stand before God, he's not going to look at if I was wealthy or educated or drove the right kind of car, lived on the, in the right block, on the right side. Of, he's not going to look at any of that stuff. He's going to look at the blood of Jesus. Were you covered and washed by the blood of my son? Otherwise, listen, the entrance to heaven it has nothing to do with your personality, your looks, your wealth. has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. It has everything to do with Jesus. Sin separates. It divides. Salvation, on the other hand, unites. And, 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 it, and what it does is it unites all peoples into one family belonging to God. Ultimately, salvation unites us to our Savior and our Creator. And, and, and down through the years, as I've traveled around the world in missions projects and, and things of that nature, I, I've seen this firsthand and I've experienced, and my life has been enriched. I'll just be honest with you. My, my life has been enriched by my brothers and sisters who are different than me. I remember years ago, I was doing a pastor's conference in South Africa, and I cried. I cried with my African bush pastors as we st stood there with arms around each other, weeping and crying out to God for a mighty move and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I can also remember being embraced my first trip to Cuba, and I was embraced by my, my Cuban brothers, and I was standing in San Luis Potosi, Mexico, years, many years ago, and my brothers and sisters, my Mexican brothers and sisters gathered around and prayed, and we prayed together, and we served together, and we worshiped together, and we ministered together. Diversity is part of the kingdom of God, and I've been enriched by my brothers and sisters that are different than I am. And I believe that's, see, see you know, with my wife, it's one of the things I've always, we tend to fear what we don't understand. We tend to fear what we don't understand. And we in our culture, we tend to use differences as divisive when I believe God intends for it to be uniting. One of the things, for instance, my wife, my wife and I are polar opposites of each other. We're polar opposites. She's, she's loud and she's out front and she's ex... No, <laughs> you know better than that, right? <laughs> she's over there, wait till I get you home. Um, so, so, so we're different. You know, she always, and one of the things I've always appreciated about Bethel is when we came, uh, became pastors here in 1993, my wife was, there was no expectations placed on her. They, the church allowed her to be her. 
She never was one to be out front. She didn't want to be in charge of anything. She was my helper. She was my right hand. She was the, my support and my encourager. And that was what she was good at. And the church was okay with that. She didn't have expectations that she had to meet. We're different. But here's what I found. Her weakness is my strength. And my weakness tended to be her strength. And so the two of us made a pretty good package together. And you see, again, our culture uh, and the society we live in takes differences and divides when I believe that God uses as complementary. And so I, I learn a lot from my brothers and sisters that are different than I am. And, and again, racism is a profound sin because as it's, at its core, it seeks to separate and to divide. If you've never experienced bigotry or prejudice because of the color of your skin, Listen to me, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine the pain that that causes. I want to say that again. We, we, all of us know the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never hurt me. Whoever said that was an idiot. Because, because bones heal, words sometimes never do. I know I said that, kids in here, I'm sorry. Don't go home and tell your parents if you're, that I've called somebody an idiot. You, you understand what I'm saying? Words leave scars. Words leave scars. And if you've never been, if you've never been, uh, received any bigotry or prejudice, then don't outright dismiss the feelings that somebody's going through or the hurt that they've endured because they have been treated differently because of the color of their skin. Those of us who have never had the experience need to be careful for, uh, of outright dismissing this grievous sin and the pain that it inflicts on other people. Again, the callousness of our day we have to be very careful about. You know, we can make all kinds of excuses regarding our attitudes about racism, but hear me, that's all it is, is excuses. It's just excuses. Uh, when we became a Christian, listen, we had an old nature, but when I became a Christian, guess what? He gave me a new nature. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Not the old, improved, a new creation, a new attitude, a new nature. And that new nature oftentimes is at odds with that old nature. It is a daily struggle. It is a battle. But listen, when I got the new nature, sin died. Prejudices died. And we had that new nature in Christ. In fact, I, I'm going to say this. You cannot be a Christian and a racist. I, I know there's some, quote, quasi-Christian groups that want to that hang on to that. But they, they, listen, they're wrong. You cannot be a Christian and a racist. 1 John 4, 20 says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a a liar. He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And then he goes on. John says in 1 John 2, 9, if anyone claims to be in the light but hates his brother, he is still in darkness. Listen, I can sing. I can quote scripture. I can teach a class. I can do all of these things. But if I judge somebody else that's different than me, I'm still walking in darkness and the light's not in me. Boy, how's that today? You know, Jesus, how many remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And we, we know that story well. I mean, it's one of those stories that has been used as an example uh, for centuries to exemplify how you and I treat one another. And in that story, it is a response to a question that Jesus was asked. The Pharisee says, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So he tells the story. And, and in this story, you have the Samaritan who's on his way, on his journey. He gets mugged, he gets beat up, and he's left beside the road. And two people come by. Remember who they were? You had the rabbi, and you had the Levite. 
What happened when they saw this man in the ditch? They walked on the other side of the road. They crossed over and they walked around. So, so follow me. For the rabbi and the Levite, to them, their neighbor was someone like them. It was someone belonging to the same kind of people. It was, a someone, it was someone who was part of the covenant family. The good Samaritan comes along and he passed by and he sees this man lying in a ditch, bleeding, and has his clothes torn. So what does he do? Well, the good Samaritan, notice what he didn't do. He did not ask if this man deserved the beating. See, again, we got to be very careful about how we, we in, you know, we kind of, what, what's the word? I can't think of the word. We deflect, or, or maybe uh, there's another word, but it's my, my brain. Anyway, we have to be very careful about saying, well, they deserve, they deserve that. Well, they just got what was coming to them. Now, the, 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 the Good Samaritan didn't do any of that. He didn't, he didn't sit there and debate whether or not this man deserved the beating that he got. Nor did he sit there trying to figure out the circumstances surrounding him being robbed and beaten. What did he do? He saw a man in need. He stopped and gave assistance. He demonstrated compassion and mercy by tending to the injured man's immediate needs as best he could. And then he got him to an end so that he could have long-term recovery and healing. Didn't care anything about him. So being a follower of Jesus, again, he didn't care anything about who he was or who he was not. Being a follower of Jesus requires a new mindset that will, again, often be at odds with our natural mindset. So we've been called to live different, church. We've been called to be different. And to, again, in those, uh, than, differently than those who still walk in darkness. So why should we fight against racism? Why should we, why should, again, this is a very hot topic today because everywhere you hear, you've got, you've got uh, BLM and Antifa and you've got white supremacy and all these other groups that are, that are out there uh, seeking to elevate one above the other. Why should, we, why should we as children of God speak out and be involved? Number one, because racism is sin. Racism is sin. The bottom line is this. All forms of racism are contrary to the will of God and are incompatible with the gospel. All forms of it. Again, God is about bringing people together, not dividing them. The story of creation is how God created human beings in His divine image, not just some of us, but all of us. We're all created in the image of God. Racism is completely anti-biblical because we are all the intentional creative act of God. And when you got, get right down to it, Race is purely a, a cultural construct, if you really think about it. I mean, race is not a biblical concept at all. Biblically speaking, we are all one family. We are family. I know. I was gonna say, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> we, we, tra we trace our roots back to the same parents. In fact, Acts 17, 26. From one man. Everybody say one man. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inherit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. End quote. Race and racism are products of the fall, not creations of God. Mankind rebelled against God, and as a result of sin, that sin entered into the world, expressing itself through division and hatred and greed and fear, and yes, even racism. And as Christians, listen, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised when a brother hates a brother uh, because of the color of his skin, because racism is part of the brokenness of our world. It's sin. 
We should not be shocked when someone discriminates against someone else because of the color of their skin. It's just another expression of, of sinful humanity's pride, hatred, and self-centeredness. And racism is bigger than one ethnicity. You please understand every continent on earth has suffered or experienced racism, whether it be against the Jews, against the Africans, the Europeans, the Asians, the Indians, every group. There's no one exempt from racism. It has touched every ethnicity there is. It is wrong to elevate one group above another. In fact, Paul said in Galatians, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 3, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all and in all. You see, when it comes to Christ, you've heard me say this for years, that when we stand before God, He doesn't see, He doesn't see, He sees two categories of people, saved and lost. That's it. The only two groups that He sees those who are born again and those who are still lost in sin. That's all He sees. It is sin that has called us, caused us to use our eyes to see people differently than the way He created them to be. And we've made, a, we've made much ado about that. So number one, racist, racism is sin. Number two, racism dehumanizes. It dehumanizes. In Genesis 1, we're told that God made the uh, God made man in his image. Again, this is inclusive language. Again, all mankind. He didn't say he made some people like him. He made all people like him. His image is where mankind came from. Racism attempts to dehumanize one group over another and strip that group of their, listen to me, their divine worth. Racism says one group is worth more than another group. And that's Purely anti-biblical right there. And it runs against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Racism says one group intrinsically is more valuable than another group. I love what James said. James chapter 3 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Did you get that? With the same mouth. He said, we, we have people today that call themselves believers and followers of Christ who look disparagingly at other people and out of the same mouth they curse them and praise God. And he said, you know what? That should not be. That's not how you live. That's not what the call of Christ does. When Jesus walked this earth, he taught a different way of living. In fact, how many of you can remember in the Gospels, they, they talked about Jesus and they said, no one's ever talked like him before. Nobody ever spoke like him before. Jesus had words that brought life. Remember, he said, when I preached on abortion, I said, he set before us the choice, life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life that you might live. Jesus spoke words that edified. Jesus spoke words that brought life. He, he spoke, he taught differently. Remember, he would often say, well, you have heard it said of old, whatever, but I say unto you. Amen. You know what he's doing? He's raising the bar. He's raising the bar. Jesus elevated what it meant to be a disciple of Christ. This new way of thinking and living set the world ablaze. Nobody, nobody had ever seen anything like that. The, 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 the philosophers and the religious leaders of the day, they spoke with eloquence of their intellectual knowledge, but they didn't speak of the heart. Jesus came along and he was intellectual, all-knowing, obviously, omnipotent, omniscient, all of those other omni-words. He was, he was God. And yet he spoke from the heart. It touched people's in their heart. 
When a lady caught in adultery, he said, where are your accusers? She said, I have none. He said, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. It spoke to her heart. The woman at the well, he said, go call your husband. She said, I have none. He said, you spoke right. You've had five. She goes and says, hey, come see a man. All the baggage that she had, all of a sudden he spoke. He zeroed in on her heart. And it changed her. See, Jesus taught a new way of thinking and a new way of living. This was a new ethos where loving your neighbor was the order of the day. And because of this new ethos, the world began to change. I want you to think about this. There would be no concept of human rights today without Christianity. You ever thought about that? Without understanding the creative intent of God that we are all made in the image of God. Even our founding documents said that the, the, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that we are all been granted by our creator certain inalienable rights. They're given by God because we were made in his image. And I know our history has been marred with, with racism, but our documents say that we acknowledge that man has some inalienable rights that have been granted by God because we're made in his image. We're equal together. And what separates us is whether I'm saved or whether I'm lost. You know, people today want to applaud the philosophies of Aristotle. But do you know Aristotle taught that there were certain peoples and groups that were fit to be slaves and nothing more? And yet people applaud his philosophical quotes and words. Jesus taught a new ethos that said, man is of immeasurable worth. All mankind is. In fact, while we were yet sinners... Not whites, not blacks, not Asians, not Mexicans, not Indians. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us all. We're valuable. Jesus told us to love one another, not just people like us. In fact, Jesus even said, love your, your enemies. Wow, new way of thinking, new way of living. I mean, how easy is it to love people that love us? But he said, hey, I'm going to take it a step further, love your enemies. Pray for them. Bless those who curse you. Oh. <laughs> hey, don't you, you're laughing because you relate to that. I'm telling you, when I was growing up, we called it a Georgia jaw jacking. <laughs> yeah, you're that, that's old school there. <laughs> he said, love one another. I mean, think about what Jesus did. He shared his grace with foreigners like the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. How about this one, the Syrophoenician woman who wanted her child cured? She comes to beg Jesus, and he said, hey, we don't give bread to the dogs. Remember what she said? She said, even the dogs get some scraps. And he marveled at her faith. The Roman centurion, Jesus shared his grace with all. On the day of Pentecost, think about this. On the day of Pentecost, there were people from every nation, every people groups there. And the Bible says when the, when the Spirit of God was poured out and they all began to speak in other tongues, the Bible says that there were people that heard. It was Xenophilia, uh, Xenolalia, I'm sorry, Xenolalia. They heard in their own language the gospel of Jesus Christ, giving glory to God. And they marveled because these were ignorant men. They didn't know. They, didn't, they weren't linguistic. They didn't, uh, linguists, linguists. 
People that spoke many different languages, they weren't that. <laughs> they were just ordinary people, and they marveled at this, this phenomenon that they were speaking in their own language. Do you understand? They, they came together from every nation and tongue, and God used that moment of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to speak to them in their own language where they can understand. And then you follow the story in Acts, we find the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Who was a black man. The first man baptized into the church was a black man. Then you get into Acts chapter 10, and you find the church confronted with another issue, the Jew-the-Gentile issue. Peter said, not me, Lord. I'm not going to touch anything unclean. I've never eaten anything unclean. He said, don't call it unclean if I've made it clean. He showed this new way of living, that even though there were irreconcilable differences between the Jews and the Gentiles, that there was a new ethos of living under Christ. Again, in Paul said in the Galatians, he said, as, as many of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So when I worship with my African brothers, they're my, they're my brothers in Christ. And we are heirs and joint heirs together of the blessings of God. When I go to Cuba, my Cuban brothers. When I go to Mexico, my Mexican brothers. When I go to India, the Vietnam, to other parts of the world. They are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and we celebrate the diversity of the kingdom of God. Listen, even, even with the clear teachings of God's word, the church's hands are not clean. Throughout the church history, she's gotten it wrong and prioritized self-interest and pride and fear over finance and, and finances over the interest of, of God and, and, and loving others and our neighbors. And I just want to say this as I kind of bring this in for a landing. If our ideas of race contradict what the Bible says, guess what? The Bible trumps my ideas. The Bible trumps my ideas. Remember, I have a new nature. I've been called to march to the beat of a different drum. Society says group yourselves. And again, you, you look at t any type of sociological uh, questionnaire, and they have all kinds of of criteria to group you in this one and 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 and and, and you listen we're kingdom people let's come together saved or lost if we're saved let's grow in the lord if you're lost let's reach him for jesus plain and simple throughout the church's history we've gotten it wrong and if our ideas contradict then lay aside those those teachings and walk in his truth if we seek our primary identity guys come on back i want to wrap this up I know I didn't do my video earlier, and I apologize. I had a video I was going to, I was so anxious to preach, I forgot my video. <laughs> Listen, if, if, if we seek our primary identity in anything other than our status as a child of God, that is idolatry. If I seek my identity in anything other than my identity as a child of God, then I am, that is idolatry. Whether, again, regardless of what it is, fam, being your family heritage, your, your wealth, your ethnicity, uh, anything like that. So, so the question is, as we, as we wrap this up, how do we respond? Again, this, this is a call to action. Listen, I, I mentioned this when I preached on abortion, the, the sin of abortion, how that, you know what, we should not be silenced. Proverbs tells us when you see the masses being taken to the slaughter, don't stand there idly by and not speak up. We need to be engaged. So how do we respond to racism today? Listen, we can't hide our heads and pretend like it's not an issue. It is an issue, and it covers every group imaginable. There are even subgroups within other groups. So how do we deal with that? 
What is the church's responsibility in 2022, the 21st century? Well, very simply, stand up, speak up, and get involved. That's it. Micah the prophet says in chapter 6, verse 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In other words, when I see, listen, when you see something that devalues another person, don't be like the rabbi and don't be like the Levite, get involved. When you see somebody mistreated because of the color of their skin, say something about it. If you see that, again, be the light in the dark world. That has, listen, it's just like gossip. If somebody wants to gossip to you, say, you're doing this, I want you to do this. If we don't stop it, if we don't, if we don't represent, listen, we're clothed with his righteousness. And that righteousness is not hidden. It's not, it's not idle. It engages. And if I see something wrong, then I have an obligation to step in and do something, to say something. If you, if you see another group that's being devalued, say something about it. When you see things that unfairly restrict one group over another, say something about it. If a city ordinance comes out that unfairly penalizes one group over another, go to city council and say, wait, wait a minute. Amen? I'm not, I'm not saying become an activist. I'm simply saying be light. Be light. Here's another thing. Seek to build relationships with those that are different from you. Again, I, I would go back in a heartbeat to pray with those bush pastors. Because those guys, I tell you what, so when I landed in, 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 in South Africa, I did, I did three nights in Cape Town, and then I got on a plane and I flew to a place on the, on the coast there called East London. And that's, we went out into the bush from there. And uh, so I get out there, and it was, it was a couple-hour drive outside the city. And so I'm out in, this, in the African bush and I'm meeting in this wood-structured church that they had. And it was a long ride, and I have a bladder like a walnut. And so <laughs> I'm sitting there with these, with these bush pastors, and I said, hey, um, where, where's the restroom? And they said, well, it's back there. And I go back there, and it's, it's no, it wasn't a bush. It was a, it was a, it was a wood structure building. You, you had a one-holer and a two-holer. And, 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 and watching those guys worship, and, and man, they blessed my socks off. And we had a great meeting there. I'd go back in a heartbeat because, man, when those guys started praying, it was like heaven moved. Cuba. First time to Cuba, man. I stepping out, Cuba being a communist place, and, you know, they, they had people that watched you. I mean, I kid you not. They, you knew there were people that they watched you. They listened to your phone calls. They knew where you were. But boy, those guys, man, when they started talking about Jesus, their eyes lit up. Listen, a, a doctor in Cuba today makes about $75 a month. A surgeon. But when they start talking about Jesus, their eyes light up. And their teeth, they, they, they smile with a... Their, their, their white teeth, they just blind you with just like radiant joy as they talk about the Lord. We used to sing that song, Look What the Lord Has Done. Boy, they, they had those stories. I, I've experienced that, and it's enriched my life, and I would, I'd go in a heartbeat. 
to worship with them again. Listen, build, build relationships with people that are different than you. Learn about their dreams and their fears and their frustrations. And again, just because you've never experienced bigotry and prejudice, that doesn't invalidate their experience. It doesn't invalidate what they've gone through. Love God, love one another, thereby fulfilling the law and the prophets. That's what Jesus said. Listen, I appreciate the fact, again, I, I think Bethel has a good track record of loving our community, and, and it does not matter one bit where they come from, what they look like, what their background is. Again, my heart's desire is to look out on a Sunday morning, seeing red and yellow, black and white, worshiping God and serving our community in His name. That's my heart's desire because we're either saved or we're lost. Racism dehumanizes people. Racism is a sin and incompatible with the gospel. And if that's part of your DNA, again, our culture teaches us to hate people. I'm sorry. There are theories that I'm not jumping on that. I got to close. Follow this right here. Love one another as I have loved you. And that fulfills God's word. Would you stand with me this morning? Listen, these are messages. I said it last week. These are these are hard messages. I, I, I would much rather have words that drive people to the altars and are just, but you know what? These are real words that need to be spoken today. I had someone that had watched uh, one of my messages on last week, actually, and said, I don't know that I've ever in my life heard a pastor preach about transgenderism. And I said, well, I said, I'm not doing it to grandstand. That's not it at all. I said, I'm concerned that there's so much misinformation in our world right now that if we're not preaching the whole counsel of God, we're missing something. There's a part of us that's going to be uh, not well, not whole. You know, I've got to take the whole counsel of God, the word as it comes, as it is, not as the way I want it to be. You see, when I accepted Christ, I submitted to his lordship. My nature, I had, to, I, had to, I had to actually crucify it on a daily basis because he has the right to say, you know what? I know you were raised like this, but this is what I'm telling you to do. I know this is the way you were, you were raised to think, but I'm calling you to a new ethos now to think differently. And it will be a lifelong battle. It will be a lifelong battle. Not a racist bone in my body. I love my brothers and sisters, and my life is so much better because they're in my life today. So we as a church, what do we do? We stand up as beacons of light that shine in a dark world. And don't be afraid to say, you know what, that's not cool. Shouldn't be talking like that. Shouldn't be calling out a brother like that, another person. You shouldn't do that. Stand up, speak up, and be involved you bow with me this morning just for just for a moment again every every service we have altar time because if you're here and need prayer we're going to pray with you today the altar is about altering it's about meeting jesus here but today online maybe you're 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 watching and maybe you've been taught i mean you know we don't like to say we're racist but maybe you've been taught to devalue other human beings look down on them because of the color of their skin or where they come from and you see how incompatible that is with the gospel maybe say you know pastor i really want to treat people like jesus did i want i want him to help 
I want the Holy Spirit to help me, help my heart, change my attitude, change my heart. To be compassionate and kind to other people, to see people not by the color of their skin, but and 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 and, and look at them the way Jesus does. Maybe here today say, Pastor, you know what? I need to pray. Because I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that at times. I get angry. I blow my I, I lose my cool. I say things I shouldn't say. And I don't, I don't need to do that anymore. I, I want to be righteous in my conversation. And the second thing is this. If you're here today and say, you know what, Pastor, I need a, I need a touch from God. In whatever, whatever that means to you today. Maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you've got a, a need that popped up this week. You say, Pastor, I just need a touch from the Lord. You know what, while we sing this morning, would you come? Would you come? Any, any, anybody need prayer? If you're online this morning, if you'll comment, we'll pray with you as well today. Listen, I believe in the miracle-working power of our Lord. And there's a miracle in the house today. You can tell long enough No more walking in shame Cause the way that He loves you Isn't something you can change You've been running in circles but you can't hide from grace Cause the way that He loves you Isn't something you can change Just like Lazarus Out of that grave Our God rewrites history Jesus, you change everything When you pour your spirit out Just like Silas Singing with Paul Grace can break down prison walls. Jesus, you can have it all. Won't you pour your spirit out? Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. You can rest in his presence. You can trust in his name. Cause his burden is easy And he's perfect in his ways You can run to the Father There's no reason to wait Cause his arms have been open And that's not something you can change Just like Lazarus out of that grave God rewrites history When you pour your spirit out, just like Silas, singing with Paul, grace can break down prison walls. Jesus, you can have it all. Won't you pour your spirit out, just like Lazarus, out of that grave, our God rewrites history.
All we have to do is just ask, seek, knock, watch the door swing wide open. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. All we have to do is just ask, seek, knock, watch the door swing wide open. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. All we have to do is just ask, seek, knock, watch the door swing wide open. Roll back that stone. Roll back.
Come on, bless the Lord this morning one more time. Come on, put your hands together one more time. Let's do it like we mean it this morning. Amen. Come on, let's do it like you have the victory today. Hallelujah. 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 Listen, all of these stories here, Paul said they are for our example. What he did then, he'll do today. He is, the theological term is immutable. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he was faithful yesterday, he's faithful today. And he'll be faithful tomorrow. Listen, we're believing for Tracy and Amanda for a creative miracle for that baby. Listen, if God can form out of nothing all that we see, then he can take that little baby and he can do a creative miracle that is needed. And you know what? He can do yours too. He can meet you at the point of your need. Listen, I love you with all of my heart. Let's go out and shine for Jesus. Shine for Jesus. Build your life on the teachings of his word. Expect God to do incredible things. Father, I love you today. I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you have called us to be light. You have called us to represent your kingdom and the new way of thinking, that new ethos. Help us to live that. Help us to be examples. Oh, that when people see us, they see Christ in us, who is the hope of glory. Father, go with us today. Let us walk out empowered by the Spirit. Lord, to shine wherever we go. Lord, those miracles that we need in our life, Lord, we believe, we hold on by faith to receive those miracles. Give us a great week, I pray. Let us, let us be the answer to someone's prayer each day this week and bring us again the next time. Bless our BBS. May lives be changed with our children. We ask it in Jesus' name. We all said amen. Thanks for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you. to do is just a ask, seek, knock, watch the door swing wide open. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. All we have to do is just a ask, seek, knock, watch the door swing wide open. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. It can happen.